This time on What Happens Next, we're exploring space, not physically, sadly, but its impact on the world we live in today and the way we live in the future. I think a permanent habitation of the moon in 10 years is, is highly probable. Going to Mars for, for visits, going to moon for visits, gonna change our view, I believe, of what we are as human race. At some point in the future, the, the survival of the human race is gonna to have to be driven by space exploration. In billions of years from now, the, the sun is not going to be as tolerable to life as it is now. We'll look at why space exploration not only helps us understand how we came to exist, but it can also help solve some of the biggest challenges we face here on Earth now. We'll talk to experts ranging from astronomers to architects about why it's vital we keep exploring beyond the Earth. In this episode, we'll talk to astronomer Michael Brown. Michael is an associate professor of the School of Physics and Astronomy in the Monash Faculty of Science. We'll find out what happens if we stop exploring space. What do we lose? What are the opportunity costs? And is the sun really going to die? Let's hear from Michael Brown. Hello, I'm Associate Professor Michael Brown. I'm an astronomer at Monash University, and I study how galaxies grow and evolve over cosmic time. Associate Professor Michael Brown, what's the problem with us no longer exploring space? I think if we stopped exploring space and stopped appreciating space, we wouldn't really have a sense of where we are in the universe and both the significance and insignificance of us, the rarity of life in the universe, the fact that you know the atmosphere of the Earth is just this incredibly thin layer on top of the planet, you know, the fact that things are finite in some sense, the sun has a finite lifetime, the Earth has finite resources, but also that the universe is you know, spectacularly old and spectacularly large. So there's much to explore beyond there. So I think if we stop looking at space, stop exploring space, we have a, a loss of perspective that we've only recently gained. Are there things about ourselves, our future, that, that maybe would be lost? We'd certainly have a, lose a sense of where you know, we came from the, in the sense of the entire universe. You know, The Big Bang is sort of central to um, how we understand our place in the universe now fact that the earth is many billions of years old you know that life has been on earth for, for many many millions of years and that the um you know that our existence on the earth has only been for a very small amount of time and i think that very big perspective you know has been informed by you know, astronomy and space and then the fragility and uniqueness of the earth you know when we look at the earth from the moon and see you know that blue ball you know, we compare that to the other lifeless planets. You know, there's something really, really important there that I think we, we really need to hold on to. space exploration shaped our understanding of our lives? I think there's a couple of different ways that it informs how we look at our lives. So I think um, there's a couple of sort of the mundane aspects. So just, you know, we're so used to weather forecasting now, you know, mm -hmm. that we sort of, 
you know, expect to have a pretty good seven-day forecast. And part of that is because we have all this wonderful data from the satellites that can inform meteorologists about what's going to be happening. And that that's sort of mundane in a way. It's like, you know, should, should I plan a picnic for Saturday? Um, oh, it'd be nice to plan a picnic for Saturday, come to think of it. But um, <laughs> the... But that sort of mundane aspect, which just sort of comes in, you know, we use the GPS to, to navigate somewhere new. Um, but then there's that, that bigger that bigger picture um, as well that informs our lives. So, you know, things such as uh, climate change is informed by measurements of satellites, measurements of the atmosphere of the Earth. Um, the fact that the Earth is so, that atmosphere is so thin compared to the Earth as a whole. You know, that there's really this tiny layer of atmosphere on top of this ball of a you know, rock. And, that you know, that's so unique in our solar system. So it, it works on a, a couple of different levels, a couple of very different timescales. It can be, you know, a picnic next week. It could be the future of the sun in billions of years. Do you feel positive about the future of space exploration? Do you think there's enough societal and political will for it? I think there is. I think it's changing and the purposes of space change. Um, and so you know, when we think of the sort of start of the space race and the Apollo missions, it was very tied up in Cold War politics. Um, it was about people planting flags, etc. And we can see also an era which is very much driven by science and space exploration space probes going to, you know, all sorts of planets, um, you know, rovers on Mars, spacecraft going to Saturn or flying past Neptune and Pluto. Um, and so driven by science, which can be about putting our planet in the context of all the other planets. It can be just about pure curiosity. And then, and then we have the commercial aspects as well, um, which I think is sort of coming to the fore now where, communication satellites, it's you know, internet satellites, it's um, perhaps even space tourism. Um, and that is a driver for space exploration. And, you know, at some point in the future, the, the survival of the human race is going to have to um, be driven by space exploration because in billions of years from now, the, the sun is not going to be um, as tolerable to life as it is now. And so at some point, if, humanity or the descendants of humanity are to survive. We have to move beyond um, the earth and, you know, that's going to be driven by just survival and uh, not just exploration or commercial interests or, or, or curiosity. Do you think we're moving in that direction fast enough? It's always sort of hard to tell where the momentum's going right now and where the priorities should be. Um, human spaceflight isn't as central to the story of space right now as it used to be and it's not necessarily clear that that's a particularly good or, or, or bad thing um, putting people into space at the you know is very very expensive people are very very fragile space is is not a particularly pleasant place for, for fragile people um, so perhaps having it driven by robots by the commercial aspect is okay um, but I guess at some point People traveling in space you know, has to become part of what, what we do. So whether that happens, say, in the next 
uh, few decades or, you know, in centuries, people on Mars, that sort of thing. We'll just have to, we'll have to see. What criticism about um, space exploration really annoys you? Oh, what really annoys me? Um, I'm just trying to think. I'm not sure. I'm not necessarily sure that the criticism sets me off um, per se. I think there's a lot of valid criticism of space exploration. Um, you know, it can be extremely expensive. It can be a rich guy's game. Um, you know, it can be used for purposes that aren't necessarily altruistic. So, you know, spy satellites and things like that. Um, and so some of those criticisms are totally valid. Um, so I'm not sure that necessarily um, annoys me per se, the criticisms. And I think that it's worth having a debate. I think the criticism that perhaps um, this money is going on a Mars rover when it could be used to feed the poor, mm. I think that's, um, you know, it's an interesting argument to make, but I think it's somewhat of a um, false dichotomy because often the people making the criticism aren't actually donating money to the poor themselves. It's sort of a, a bit of a uh, weak argument to make. And I do think that there's, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time mm. and we should be doing better on Earth to look after people in poverty, you know, food poverty and food security, etc. But our lives are enriched by science, by art, by curiosity, by knowing where we are in the universe. And I think that's worth spending you know, money on. So to see if there was once life on Mars, I think is worth spending a lot of money on it's also worth spending a lot of money on improving food security i don't think it's a one or the other choice mm. so maybe that's the one that sets me off what about the criticism that if hollywood has told us anything it's that aliens will definitely want to kill us yeah so um that's an interesting one i certainly wouldn't how should i put it i'd be a little bit cautious about broadcasting messages to aliens if we found them. Mm. Um, I think um, not necessarily because they would or wouldn't want to kill us, um, just because, you know, we don't know. Yeah, we don't um, want to look too eager. The, like maybe they should make the first move and we should just, you know, be chill about it. Yeah, exactly. You know, if, if they send a message, you know, if they send a message to us on on. Saturday night, we don't, you know, we chill. We don't send something Sunday morning. That would look wrong, you know. You you wait till Monday, Tuesday, that kind of thing, um, you know. But I think it, it is something that we would have to seriously contemplate if we received a message from an alien civilization. You know, do we respond to it? Um, on the plus side, if you know we are have concerns about alien civilizations. The looks of things is probably not an alien civilization that's at least emitting radio waves, particularly near near us. We've been looking for a while. And that probably means that you know the nearest sophisticated alien civilization could be hundreds of light years away. So even traveling at the speed of light, they take centuries to get here. Mm. So um, how should I put it? 
um, aliens arriving, uh, you know, demanding to see our leader and not up to no good, probably unlikely. I think if we find evidence for life, it might at first be quite, um, it might be quite boring. Most of life throughout the Earth's history has been boring. Mm. Um, Speak for yourself, Mark. Single, well, you know, single, single-celled organisms are not great for dinner conversation. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, T-Rex, to be fair, wasn't good at dinner conversation either. So it's mm. possible that you know, we might detect a planet that shows signatures of life. It might have oxygen, that it might have methane as well, which would be an unexpected combination unless there's life there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might just see no signs of civilization from it because it's got animals, the largest animals, it's got a fish mm-hmm. um, or the equivalent of fish or you know, it's got dinosaurs or it has a civilization, but it's not a civilization that transmits radio waves. The civilization as of you know, 3,000 years ago. So, you know, there's a lot of life out there potentially, um, but it might not be necessarily a direct mirror of us or um, a frightening projection of us. Would you ever do space travel? Would you sign up to, to be one of those space holidayers? Maybe when I was younger, maybe I probably would have. Um, less sure of it now that I've got, you know, a family and uh, it's still a risky venture. Um, there's definitely, um, you know, accidents happen. There was um, the Virgin Galactic test flight that uh, crashed. Mm. Um, obviously, the space shuttle disasters. It is a risky game. Um, perhaps when I was younger and, you know, used to do things like tandem parachute jumps, maybe I would have, you know, left at the chance. I, I'm not sure I'd leave at the chance now. Maybe I would. Um, but I'm not sure at this at this point in my life. I haven't quite got to as many as I would have liked. My last question for you is what has been a recent space discovery that you've been really excited about? Oh, what's been an exciting one? I think I've, I've really enjoyed... Uh, Comet Neowise, which has been visible in the Northern Hemisphere, I think it's going to fade before it comes to the south. And it's just, uh, it's just a beautiful comet, and anyone can see it. It's really accessible. Um, people can take photos of it with their mobile phones, and it's just there. And there's been beautiful pictures of it above, like Stonehenge, and there was a photo of it above one of the SpaceX rockets at Cape Canaveral, and. It's, it's just accessible astronomy. And I think one of the things I, I like about astronomy as a science and also perhaps beyond the science is it can be so accessible that there can be a comet and you can look up at it and see it. And I remember, um, I think when I first moved back to Australia, uh, 2007 or so, um, there was a bright comet and I was walking along St Kilda Beach and you could point people and go, look, there's a comet. And it was just, you know, wonderful. And so I think that that kind of thing does get me excited about astronomy again. You know, I can get caught up in the minutiae of emails and admin and, you know, editing papers, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, 
there's these exciting discoveries and they can be very accessible. And I think that's what gets me excited about astronomy and keeps me connected with astronomy. Mm, it's that undertone of wonder that astronomy in particular seems to facilitate in, in all of us. Yeah, I think that's that's true. And, and sometimes it can be strangely familiar that Mars can feel, you see the photos of Mars and it can seem different but familiar. Mm. Um, and that makes it tangible. Um, and the fact that you can look up and see it and that makes it tangible. And then occasionally that, you know, it's completely bizarre and different. You know, that can make it put the sense that we are unique, that our planet is very unique. And I think that that makes a connection with people that some other sciences don't have that that kind of opportunity. Mm. Michael, paint us a picture. Imagine tomorrow every leader of every country around the world, Russia, Australia, China, the US, everywhere, they all announce that due to COVID, all funding to all space exploration has to stop, uh, private and public. We just don't have the time or the money for it. What would happen to the world in a year from now, 10 years from now? So I think... Um a year from now, 10 years from now, I think it's, it's really significant. There's a lot of stuff that in, in space that informs, um, informs us on a, a sort of grand scale and also on a much more mundane scale. So, you know, the, the grand scale stuff, you know, life on Mars, the origin of the universe, that kind of stuff would be curtailed. A lot of our increasing understanding of physics would be curtailed as well. There's um, new physics that was discovered using uh, or leveraging off space exploration. You know, Brian Schmidt's Nobel Prize is an example of that. I think on the more practical level, um, it would limit our ability to know about the Earth. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you sort of flagged it as a sort of hypothetical, but there are politicians in the United States who want to reduce the amount of money that's available for NASA for Earth sensing missions. And what that is about is to try and reduce the amount of data that we have available on climate change. They really do not want NASA to be producing more data showing that climate change is occurring, the rate of climate change, the impacts of climate change. Mm. Um, and so there is, you know, there's a deliberate desire there for, for ignorance. And I think if we curtailed space exploration, there would be ignorance, would be limiting our knowledge. Um, and that would ultimately put us at risk. Associate Professor Michael Brown, this was very exciting, a bit terrifying. I'm glad to hear we've still got a billion years before we need to sort out the sun. But thank you so much for your time. No, it's been a pleasure. was a fascinating discussion. More information on what we talked about today can be found in the show notes. Next time, we'll talk to an astrophysicist about life on Mars and how it might be the key to a better life on Earth, architects learning to design in space, and Australia's very own Rocket Man. See you then.